What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot with myself, Robbie the Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. I've always got to pause and see if you're done with whatever you're doing there. Okay. Our guest today is Tanner Lindsley. How's it going, Tanner? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. Excellent. Thank you. Though the listeners that have not seen you posting things on Twitter and around and whatnot, uh, if you want to give a little intro into who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm a software engineer, primarily front end, but I'm capable of full stacking things if I need to. I spend a lot of time in open source. So over the years, I've built uh, a lot of open source libraries. Some of them have gotten pretty popular. Uh, React Query and React Table, which are now kind of under the TAN stack brand. And uh, yeah, a couple of their TAN stack libraries that we're working on. And then most recently, been a lot of chatter around a router that I'm working on. And uh, yeah, spend a lot of time in open source. And I also have a, a company with some friends called Nozzle. It's an SEO analytical platform. So we we do data aggregation and and gathering around marketing and SEO. Cool. Nice. So yeah, we'll dive a lot more into some of that stuff here in a bit, but we always start with whiskey. So so today we have Monday's Zero Alcohol Whiskey. I know we've tried a couple of these on the show, so we decided to make a slight change here and uh, get one of their cocktail mocktail kits. It's the Whiskey Sour Kit. Uh, no calories, no carbs, too. So I know that's important to Robbie. <laughs> Made by an award-winning whiskey maker. And things like aging and whatnot don't quite apply in the same ways. So this one will be a whiskey sour with a bitter milk cocktail mixer as smoked honey and uh, other parts of the whiskey sour, sour stuff, citrusy things. A few calories in there for Robbie, but mm. not too many. The whiskey has no calories, but then it looks like this has 30 per ounce. That's, well, I think we can live with that. That's still reasonable. Yes. So when we're mixing the smoked honey whiskey sour, we'll have two ounces of Monday whiskey, which I will be completely making up because uh, yeah. I didn't bring a, a jigger or any measuring device, but that's okay. We just eye it. Yeah. I poured a little bit of the whiskey and then a little bit of the bitter milk and then a little more whiskey. And like, that seems right, right? I'm just going to have to go off of what you guys do. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Well, you want to do more. Mine looks like this. Of the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it's a... It's basically a two to one, give or take. So like whatever you're putting in here, I have these fancy plastic cups for those that are listening and can't see. <laughs> and then you'll just put half of that as much of the other stuff. It says mix it on ice. So I've got a little cup of ice I'll mix it into. And then we have these little dried fruit thingies, but they say they're best by uh, a couple months ago. I'm still going <laughs> to chance it and throw one in there, but uh, dried fruit. I mean, don't feel obligated. I put worse things in my body for sure. Can't go wrong, right? Let's see here. Oh, actually, I was going to try the whiskey on its own just for fun, just for me. No one else needs to do that. But. Just to compare to the previous ones yeah like what's it like starting and then how much better or worse does it get within the cocktail itself so hmm it has kind of like a dried orange smell to it yeah i think this one smells much different there's a lot of orange coming off of mine yeah yeah, yeah i'm getting a lot of that maybe a little bit of like nutmeg hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get a lot of smells out of the cocktail, but it's very citrusy. Yes. You get a lot of citrus. It's like honey. This is just in the whiskey. So I haven't tried the cocktail quite yet. But it will do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I this I think I'll be having this with ice. Ooh. Yeah, the cocktail is quite uh quite spicy. Mm. It's like Christmassy in a glass. <laughs> a slight diversion here. I don't know if anybody watches SNL <laughs> this past weekend's SNL with Anna de Armas. And uh, they did this funny skit where they're like, they're doing these, I don't know, like backup, these, they're not singing, but they're just like doing, recording one-off things for this rapper to put into his song. And that's, the rapper is spicy and they're like, ooh, spicy. Anybody see that? <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. no, nope, popped into my head. Though. Sounds like it'd be good though. It was pretty funny. It's recommended. You, you YouTube the clip. That's, that's enough. All right. Yes, very juicy. Yeah. A lot of citrus. I think it's very pleasant. Yeah. It's maybe got a little more spice than I would want if I were having several of these. Mm-hmm. But um, all the flavors are very pleasing. It's like uh, a lot of citrus. Definitely the little garnish helps with some uh, citrus smells. I don't know. It's good to me. It's very fruity. I had no idea what to expect. And it's very, uh, mm-hmm. it's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet. Very fruity. And a slight bit of spice. So it almost makes me feel like, you know, if you have like a, a Christmas or wintertime punch kind of mm-hmm. has. Yeah. And for 30 calories, I could do this uh, versus many drinks have many more calories than that. So Right. Even as you, you know, talk about a juice in general, juice yeah. has quite a bit more. So this is more subtle. Yeah. I mean, it stacks up decently on its own in terms of. For never having anything remotely close to this or yep. literally any alcohol in my life. No. I was expecting the fake the fake stuff to probably be a little more burny somehow, you know, like fake it somehow. <laughs> that would be an interesting thing. I can't imagine anyone who hasn't or doesn't drink like desiring that burn. Yeah. Right? Because No, I when I got curious though and started researching the brand, they, you know, they say uh to simulate it they use capsaicin. Mm. <laughs> And I don't know if they use that in this one, but there is there is something in there that gives it like a tiny, tiny bit of a spicy. Yeah. 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 In the back of your, like a little bit in the back of your throat, you get some spice and I wouldn't equate it quite to like the burn of alcohol, but I definitely get like some of the spiciness of that. And I, yeah. now that you say that. A little bit of the hug. Yeah. It's probably hiding in the natural flavors ingredients. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I wonder but the more you have, the more you might that like kind of builds up like with spice in general, mm-hmm. you start to experience it more and more. So we were talking a little before we started to record about how you might want to consider and classify this. And, you know, we do the fun rating system of one to eight tentacles, one being this is terrible. I never want it again. Eight. It's amazing. Robbie and I have started categorizing things to a degree. So, I mean, you could think of this as in like, hey, a, a little winter punch or a social beverage that you would have with other friends. And that way, maybe think, you know, give it a rating one to eight. See what you think. Hmm. I feel like it's better than I expected. And, you know, relative expectations have a lot to do with rating systems. <laughs> so... <laughs> Indeed. It's probably up there. I'd say it's uh, it's like a six. Yeah. I feel confident enough that if I had some of my friends come over and be like, hey, guys want to like, 
try this random non-alcoholic thing. You know, I'd feel confident that some of them would probably be like, eh, it's all right. And some of them would be like, Hey, that's not bad. You know? So yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of where I sit. It's, it's really not bad. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I myself am a, uh, I'm a soda drinker big time. Okay. Like I love, I love the, it's a different kind of burn, but like really high carbonation sodas. Mm-hmm. And I just love it when they're freezing cold, you know? Ooh. So it's not super within my wheelhouse, but it's definitely not bad. Nice. Well, on the recipe card here. I'm, I'll probably end up drinking all of mine. Yeah. I think that's another thing too, is like, you know, if it sits in front of you, are you going to end up drinking all of it? And yeah, I think I will. So, well, there's a variation on the recipe card. You could do a spritz and top with soda water for effervescence. Oh. That might just take it over the top for you. I saw that. And I'm sure my wife is, is, she's like, she's like, well, I'm not super interested, but I am curious. I'm like, well, I'll put a little bit in your diet coat. See what you think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I happen to have a diet Coke here. I might have to try that combination myself. Yeah. I think it would go well personally. Mm. I'm definitely addicted to diet Coke and diet soda. So that's definitely something I'll be trying out. Nice. Nice Got a six month egg timer on this bottle. So it's like, <laughs> you got to get to it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, Robbie, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, I probably should try some on its own. Let me do that really fast. Okay. Cause we did that with the other ones we had tried just to get a good comparison. Yeah. And while you do that, I can go ahead and speak to it since I did that. So yeah, I guess I would have two facets to my feedback and review is that independently as a non-alcoholic spirit in quotes, this is by far the best one that I've had, even on its own. It has a lot of citrus notes there and uh, a little bit of nutmeg in it. And so there's some flavor there. It goes down real easy like a juice, but that's okay. That's kind of like what we expect out of this. I can really get much hug otherwise i do feel it building up in the back of my throat though like you're saying so Mm -hmm. i think uh that might come to be and give me that same sensation so it's if i'm looking in the non-alcoholic spirits realm this wins and this is a solid like eight for me this is very much the best one and then the cocktail itself kind of just adds another dimension to it and uh, i don't know if i should be maybe in terms of like non-alcoholic social beverages or something. I'm not even just something I would sip on. Like, this is pretty tasty. So I'm probably putting it up there around a seven, six or seven, something like that. It's like, if I was thinking of something like an Italian soda or this, like I would put a little bit of soda on that and it would be, it would even it out and make it very refreshing, I think. So I think I'm going to go seven. Agreed. Yeah. I'm pretty close to everything you said there. So I tried it on its own and it is for sure the best one, the non-alcoholic ones we've had. So yeah, I'll do an A for that. And the cocktail, I would not be displeased if I ordered this out somewhere and paid 10 bucks or more for it and got this flavor. It's good. So I would even go so far as to say an eight for a non-alcoholic cocktail as well, um, just because we haven't tried any other cocktails and I have nothing bad to say about it really. So voila, we picked a winner here. Yeah. Good for you, Tanner. You didn't get one of those gross ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair though, that, that's a gross coming from us. And I, the folks that tried them since they didn't really have context, um, it was also kind of similar circumstances, n- never having had alcohol before. So there was no like context in comparison. They were like, this isn't bad. And we were like, this is great. Disgusting. You set the bar really high out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Let's talk about technology like things. Yeah. We've been trying to start with a, uh, 
a little section of hot takes just to see what your opinions are on a few things. So we'll do those first. Yeah. So with TypeScript, do you like inferred types or explicit types? Oh, I know there's a lot of hot takes out there on this topic. <laughs> it's really situational for me, to be honest. But if I were just to like have to pick one across the board for like a bullseye for people to hit, I'd just say go for inferred types as much as possible. You'll end up shooting yourself less in the foot, in my opinion. Yeah. If you do that. But I, I have my own nefarious purposes for explicit types <laughs> everywhere <laughs> in the stuff that I work on. So Yeah. I think context wise, there's the big disparaging difference in it, right? And you're working on Yeah on libraries that uh, lots of people are using. And so you might have one opinion in that context and then working on applications specifically, you know, a completely different context just because yeah, the give versus ingestion. The explicit type, like that escape hatch comes in mostly when you're like building libraries. And a lot of it comes down to like in libraries, usually you're masking, you're masking some level of magic with with everything to the outside world, it's going to look just super straightforward and simple and perfectly typed, you know. So at function boundaries, like if I were to rely on inference for all of my my function boundaries for all of my libraries, like it it wouldn't give me that much value internally, and I very much could break the library, like break the types a lot because I'm changing implementation details. Whereas if I have an explicit API that I know I've designed ahead of time and the implementation is simply that, just an implementation, then I'll have my in and my out on my function signature. And then everything in between in the function, I'm just kind of like, okay, let's just make it work. And at the very end, yeah, sometimes I'm just like, return this thing as any, just it's got to be that way. I don't do that in my apps though. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very different. It's situational, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. But for most people, sticking to inference is usually the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with that. Like inferred is just easier, but you know, there are definitely times when you need to an escape patch. So yeah, that makes sense. All right. Okay. Let's see. Git rebase or git merge? I used to be on team git merge, but there are reasons that I guess that's bad. So lately, I've been doing a lot more rebasing, just because I'm bouncing around between feature branches a lot, and I gotta, I gotta like make sure that things are coming in in order, right? So I'll, I'll do my rebases in order and and handle the conflicts throughout the rebase. But recently, I've had a couple of rebases go wrong, mm-hmm. where I try trying as hard as I can, and they just don't. It just doesn't come out well, and so. I will kind of just have to go back to merge and I'll just merge everything. And after I did that, it kind of ended up the way that I wanted it to and just had to kind of go back and check and make sure that I didn't lose anything that I would have otherwise had with a rebase. So by default, I rebase most of the time. And then if I get lazy, (laughs) I'll just merge it in, call it a day, merge it in and fix it (laughs) after the fact. Yeah, right. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's the distinction too. Yeah. Not to say that lazy is always bad, but I do think that like yeah. merge is the, hit it now and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't call it lazy. Like the times that I would reach for it is like you go to a rebase and there are like 
350 commits you need to rebase against. And I was like, no, that one's going to be a merge and we're going to (laughs) just make that work. So yeah. Like long running branches. It is a merge and just accept the conflicts where they are. You know, (laughs) for me, it's like essentially like, where do I want to manage the conflicts? Right. Do I want to manage them where they originated or do I want to squish them all together and manage them once? Right. And to me, it's kind of like you, like you said, if there's so much stuff to rebase, you're just like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's not a productivity booster at that point. Right. Right. Let's see. Tailwind or vanilla CSS? Tailwind all the way. I know I'm going to get crap for that. Everybody does. Yeah. Who says they like tailwind. Yeah. And, then, and even if you, even if you say vanilla CSS, you'll get crap for that too. Yep. It's crap either way, <laughs> but I do, I do love tailwind. I've been using it for a while now. And, uh, I like it. There's a couple of things that I use with it to make it uh, scale a little bit, in my opinion. I use uh, the class names utility a little bit here and there to do conditional classes, just to make it easier to do that. And then I also use a tool called TW Merge, Tailwind Merge. And that is essentially, I do what Tailwind tells you not to do. They say, don't create components that compose classes together, right? And I'm like, well, that I don't like that because <laughs> for me, I don't want to have to create abstractions on top of any of the Tailwind tokens at all. So when anytime somebody's like, well, just do a variation, uh, just do like a like a variation, right? Where you have you know, this button success variation or something like that, right? They're like, oh, do do a variations API, and I'm like, no, I don't like that because I just want to customize one-off things and override them. And I want to compose components together in, uh, you know, in layers to kind of get the functionality that I want. And as soon as you start doing that, eventually you'll have classes that come in and you're like, well, order kind of matters now as you're composing (laughs) these classes together. Like the ones you pass in later should override the ones you gave earlier. And that's not how CSS and classes work. So this little tailwind utility, TW Merge, will take the classes in in the order that you give it and left to right the ones on the right will have you know higher precedent and it's smart it has an internal mapping system to say okay you passed in p2 and it knows that any of the other classes before it that came in 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 the padding channel are going to get overwritten by this one right so it's smart about the way that it composes the classes together instead of just like concatenating them on it will actually remove ones from the earlier ones if you overwrite them interesting it's really cool yeah yeah it works just like the class names utility i I highly suggest checking it out yeah i'll have to check that out i hadn't heard of that yeah it's nice cool tips so all right we have one more hot take what do you think about signals love them yeah signals are fantastic i'm pretty tight with ryan carniato and i've been talking to him about signals He's been talking to me about signals for like, you know, four years, <laughs> five years now, I think. And I loved him from the beginning. Tried really hard to bring him to React. Couldn't do it on my own. But I think just signals as as like a data, as a data computation architecture and as a change detection architecture, they just fit the bill for so many things that I want to do. And the way that I like to equate it is like the ultimate UI that existed before so many other UIs is Excel. Like Excel is so flipping powerful. <laughs> you can do so much stuff in Excel. 
and, you know, and it has VBA like programming to it, you know, but it, but at, at the core of it, it's just this signal kind of a setup, right? Every cell is like a signal. And that's kind of how our apps are ending up now too, right? Everything you've got computed things and everything's relying on each other. It's this directed graph of information. Signals are great. And yeah, I just think that, uh, the more time I spend with immutability, the less I enjoy it. I like it for some things, uh, like where I need assurances of unique copies and, and things like that. But I think in the React ecosystem as it is, it used to not matter so much, but it's become the primary means of reactivity in the React ecosystem. And it just doesn't scale very far at all into like powerful and advanced use cases. I built React table, Tanstack table, and I had to go through great lengths, jump through a lot of hoops to get, you know, the immutable change detection to not blow people's apps up with, with Tanstack table. If you forget to memoize one thing, you know, with that library, then it's just going to kind of spin out of control. So compare that to signals and it's kind of like, hey, everything is mutable, which we've heard is a bad idea, but that's because we kind of lacked the tools and we lacked the architectures and, and the systems to keep it in check, right? So on top of that, when we talk about signals, especially like solid signals, even though it's mutable, most of the time, and I, this is where I think good signals are still separate reads and writes. So it's not two-way data binding. It's still separate to read and to write, and you still have transactions and very safe ways to track where you're changing values and how to track that down. But themselves, just having them as like the reactive primitive for everything simplifies so many things and allows you to do some really powerful things, very performant things. I know that if we had React table, if we had Tanstack table built to use signals, like just to be built on top of signals, we could probably make it 10 times faster than it is today. But we just can't do that right now. Love signals. Yeah, because uh, as you mentioned, so was React table rebranded as Tanstack, yeah. as some of the libraries have been, because they support more than just React. And I guess that's a whole different ideology too. Yeah. And most of the time, we're still doing things immutably just because that's how it's been done. So Tanstack table still has an immutable API. But the adapters that are taking it into solid and taking it into view, they are doing kind of some, some migration, if you will, between immutable data and immutable change detection reactivity to the immutable signal observable style. So, and that you pay the cost anytime that you kind of bridge the gap between one or the other, going from mutable to immutable reactivity systems, you, you kind of have to pay a cost when you cross that bridge. Something that me and Ryan Carniato figured out the hard way. <laughs> Recently, we tried to move all of the TAN stack, just state management itself, like non-framework level stuff, just the core state management, we tried to move it all to signals. Didn't have anything to do with solid. It was just the signal technology that it had. But then we found out that even though we did that, we still had to convert it back to immutable, like immutable APIs for the React framework adapter and Preact. And 
it just ended up not being worth it. You actually paid the same cost to cross the gap coming back. But wait. It's kind of sad. Well, we're still working on that, but. But wait, React is just a view layer. <laughs> yeah, right. Remember that original? Uh, yeah, it was at one time and then got blown up so much more. Yeah, it is. And I think that's the flaw. Unfortunately, it's, it is just the view layer, but there become a lot more rules to how it works, right? So, I mean, we ended up basically anytime you do anything outside of React with state management, it's all going to come back to Usync external store. And Usync external store is, it's a great little hook, but it just is totally at odds with reactive mutable state management. So it uses snapshotting and yeah. immutable diffing and a bunch of things to keep track of when it should update. Okay, that particular hook, what was the class component uh, similar? Equivalent. Yeah, API. What, what would that have been? I don't think they had like a class equivalent. You basically would have been like a higher order component that would implement something similar to what React Redux was doing with its connect, yeah. where you would have to set up like this dot set state or this dot re-render to fire off on a subscription like PubSub setup. Yeah. So you'd have to subscribe to the store in a granular way. And then whenever the store updated, you would have to check and make sure that your, your piece of state had changed. And if it did, manually re-render the component. Yeah. And then it back in the day with classes, it was really scary because then you, it got into like, okay, how do we batch this? <laughs> how do we make sure that right. it's performant? And it was really weird. Nowadays, it's much easier just to use sync external store. Then you don't have to do any of that. You just kind of consume. It's still a PubSub like action. Like in the use sync external store, you still subscribe to the store and fire off a callback anytime something changes. And then you're, and you're still comparing things. But it's just done in a React safe way, I guess. Sorry, I'm quoting my fingers as I say that. <laughs> I think it's good to make that distinction that you're, you mean that when you make that statement. You just almost wonder, I know is a lot of like, well, I mean, early criticism of React was around having to like hand do so many things, right? To create an actual app with it. But now conversely, if you think about it, especially like say you want to work in an opinionated React framework like Next.js and you want the React component layer to be a lot more simple and maybe come up with your own app-wide, both local and it's well, the entire app itself, like state management, maybe that would have been easier actually stripping out some of the helpers and making React more just the view layer and saying, I don't need some of these other things. And now I just want to manage this to a degree. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty far down this path now. So yeah. who could regress to that degree? But yeah, it's a big digression now. But I think you're right. Like so much of React nowadays depends on data flow. And right now, React kind of makes the assumption that data is tree-like and hierarchical. And that's usually just not the case. Your app just kind of is all over the place. It's more of like a directed graph of computations. And I believe there's a bit of a, like a cadence mismatch between React and its like hierarchical state paradigm where like for them, for React itself, it's if, if you use use state and use reducer, 
and keep everything inside of you state, it seems everything's just going to be fine, right? It's like, oh, everything works great, you, and it's super performing, concurrent, and all this stuff. But the minute you go out of React's kind of blessed APIs is when you run into trouble. That's, it's disappointing, but I mean, you can't please everybody. Yeah. So I think as long as, as long as there's still a priority for the core team and and for React itself to bridge the gap with external state management, we're going to be okay. And I know they, they still offer a lot of caveats where, well, you're using something outside of React. Well, be careful about over updating, you know, or be careful about tearing. And there's so many warnings around that. But honestly, every time that I've that I've used it, it's been just fine. That works great. Yeah. They're just saying just in case. If we do a thing that yeah. we need to do for our own purposes, because bearing in mind it is corporate backed, yeah. Then, you know, so be it. That'll be the ultimate decision if need be. Yeah, it's hard to tell the difference between, hey, we're covering our butts and this really, really is a bad idea. <laughs> and I think a lot of the time it's just kind of preemptively, hey, just just in case you run into trouble, we told you so, right? Right, yeah. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah. CYA in general. So, uh, yeah, I think we should talk about TanStack a little more. What do you think, Robbie? Yeah. Give us the elevator pitch. What is TanStack? What do you use it for? TanStack, recently rebranded to TanStack. It used to just be a bunch of open source libraries, just kind of under my personal name. <laughs> but... More recently, I decided to kind of bring it all together and brand it a little bit. Maybe hopefully make some money off of it too on the side, help sustain it all. So that's kind of where we landed. Tansack.com is the website. And I know if if you already know me, then you've probably heard the story about the name. But if you haven't, I think it's worth saying, just so everybody knows, I'm not some egotistical maniac. (laughs) (laughs) Back when I had all these libraries, uh, I was at a couple of conferences a lot of my friends at these conferences kind of started teasing me when I said, Hey, I don't want to brand it. You know, I want to rename. And they're like, well, well, you should call it the tan stack, you know? And I said, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was originally Sean Wang who was kind of teasing me about this. He told a bunch of people, I think, and it just kind of started to become a joke and, but it also kind of stuck. And uh, I got really honest feedback from a lot of people and they said, no, I, I actually like that. I think it has a good ring. I was convinced when I did the SEO research into it, found out that there was very little competition going on, Google, right, <laughs> for anything in the space. And uh, so I, I figured, you know, let's let's go with it. Let's lean into it, you know. And as long as as long as we just kind of keep it kind of funny and, and whatnot, it'll be fine. And it's turned out great. So we went with Tans Tech and rebranded the website and kind of brought all the tools together. People still say React query, and so do I. Like I've already said it three times on this. On this, uh, I've said React table too. So it's kind of hard to change after you've been calling it something for a long time. Right. But right now, under the under the umbrella, we've got Tanstack query, table, router, which is currently in beta, Tanstack start, which is coming soon. That's just kind of that's like going to be our um, our framework. There's Tanstack Virtual, which is a headless UI for virtualizing large element lists. I have a React Charts library, so just a, a React charting library. There's Tanstack Ranger, which is headless range and multi-range slider utilities. So little range sliders, you can do multi-sliders. 
and then a loaders and actions library that kind of goes hand in hand with the router. And then possibly a new one coming in the next few months for forms. So, mm. yeah, it's mostly just a collection of tools that I believe are important because I use them where I work at Nozzle. So, in fact, basically all of these tools were, were created uh, because we ran into problems or challenges working on Nozzle. So, Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I can definitely understand finding a common branding to pull them all together into like as your toolbox. I wasn't sure just because some of them have become not agnostic to frameworks, but they support some additional frameworks. Yeah. And so I didn't know if your intent over time is to make more or all of them at some point be not React tools, but actually like front end development tools. Absolutely. Tansat query is kind of already there. There's a lot of, it has adapters for all the major frameworks. Maybe not Svelte. Actually, no, there is a Svelte query. Yeah. Hey, take that back. <laughs> Table is okay. It doesn't have all of the adapters. And router, some of these, you know, it just kind of depends on the tool. Like, like the router started as an agnostic router. But after a lot of experience with it, I've decided to dial it back for just React. Mostly because the routing space is weird. For almost every other framework, there's kind of just a the router that you use, except for React in the early days because it was just more implementation detail in React, kind of bring your own whatever. That's changing a little bit, and you kind of like, it's very bound to the framework that you use now, your meta framework. So if you use Next, you're not really going to use another router. <laughs> if you use Remix, right. you're not going to use another router, right? So it just made sense to just kind of hyper-focus it back on React. And then things like React Charts. React Charts is probably never going to become agnostic. In fact, I might be sunsetting it in the next year or two just because I've found better tools for data visualization. But there are things like React Ranger that are, you know, they're headless and they're actually really simple to make cross-framework. One of my contributors, Robert Kalinsky, is working on making... React Ranger, Tansac Ranger, so totally agnostic and just, it'll have a bunch of, of framework adapters. So it really depends on the library, what's capable based on the API. The more headless it is and the less it has to do with, with rendering and markup and reactivity, then the more framework agnostic it can be. But that's definitely a goal where it's possible we want to go there. Yeah, it makes sense. I think there's definitely a lot of... Uh competition heating up in the the framework wars these days so yeah react is still obviously number one and maybe forever we don't know but <laughs> solid's looking pretty good <laughs> yeah i have really big eyes for solid right now even though most everything i do is still in react it's kind of just i stare at the greener grass over the fence every day with solid <laughs> and i know it's not perfect it's it also has its has its gotchas and and whatnot. But for the things that I'm working on, solid just seems like it would it would be a great fit. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, I wonder if uh, that's something you'll look at with uh, the Tanstack start, like meta framework setup. I think it's interesting that you have Astro as part of it too, out of the box. Yeah. So Tanstack start, so we I talk about this with Ryan Carniato a lot, actually, is um, we talk about like, what is a framework, right? And, and we've talked about that a lot in the last month or two. And I've kind of landed 
on three major things that kind of make up like what a framework is. And the first one is the router. Like you can't have a meta framework without having really tight integration on the router. And then the second thing is deployment. Like you have to have a really good story around deployment. It should be able to go everywhere and work everywhere. And there's there's a lot of considerations around deployment too, because you usually meta frameworks are there to offer, you know, hey, you can do you can do a static site, you can do a long running server, or you can do serverless, you can do client side only, you can do server rendered server components. There's a lot of these different flavors, and that's kind of where that deployment architecture comes into play as well. And then the last piece that that I landed on was it's the code extraction and the abstractions around automatic things with your code. So automatically separating server and client code, automatically creating routes with file system routing. And that's that piece is kind of the bling piece, if you've heard anything about bling. So if you put those together, we have Tanstack router and then Astro is what we're going to be building it on so we get all the deployment story. And then Bling is the it's the Vite powered code extraction utility that we have that's going to power all of the, you know, how do we write, how do you write a server component in Tanstack Start? You use Bling. How do you do server-only RPCs? You do that with Bling. Can you create islands? That's with Bling. So all of kind of this meta meta code generation stuff is going to happen through Bling. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm not very familiar with Bling. I did notice that there. And uh, I was like, oh, he just misspelled Bing. You know, that's his favorite search engine. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Or, you know, the last name of your favorite friend. Yeah. The name came because as I was tossing the idea around with Ryan Carniato, we were doing like server dollar sign, like he was doing in in Solid Start, which is also very similar to like Quick, how they do a lot of their code splitting and whatnot. And we were doing server dollar sign and function dollar sign to kind of like signify to the compiler that this is a special function boundary. And we saw the dollar signs and we were like, wow, it's, it's blingy, right? <laughs> Ryan said, it's really blingy. And I'm like, that's what we should call it. <laughs> so and there you go. The plan is that solid start and Tanstack start are both going to utilize almost the exact same bling setup. So you'll be able to transfer your your knowledge between the two on how to write server components and how to do islands and server code extraction. And then they're building solid start on Astro as well. They're going to be migrating to Astro too. Mm. Oh, nice. Uh-oh. Yeah, Ryan didn't tell us this. Yeah. The first plan, I know he's working on it right now. He recently just barely got it all moved over to Astro working. So you can run Solid Start with Astro. It actually just takes a few changes in your package.json and then moving your build system away from Vite to Astro. And it just works. It's really cool. Once he gets everything moved over to Astro, then we're going to be talking more about the router and Bling and how that all kind of hooks up. At the end of the day, I think the hope would be that solid, that the solid router and Tanstack router kind of end up being similar. We want to share notes and I want to help them improve their types. And he's going to help me improve some of the, uh, like the server component architecture and islands architecture. So 
yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that is cool. And then, yeah, reduce complexity, cast a wider net of, of folks solving this similar challenges. And then like what you said, conversely, is learning about one isn't starting over coming into another. Yeah, we just see that there's there's a lot of opportunity right now to share and just work together. But it seems like every meta framework that comes out doesn't want to do that. Like if if you want to write your own meta framework today, you're going to be met with, well, I, I have to kind of build a CLI and have my own compiler. And I have to have my own router and I have to do, I have to maintain all my framework adapters to all the cloud providers, you know. Mm. In contrast, Ryan, he's going to get to, he's deleting all of his framework adapters, all of his framework adapter code because Astro has it. Mm -hmm. And he'll, we'll get to share the same start and bling code for both Tansec start and, and, uh, and solid start. So I just think there, we, we believe that there's a lot more room for collaboration that isn't being done right now just because people want to be competitive. I mean, there's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. All the major frameworks, the meta frameworks have, you know, they are either like Vercel is tightly coupled to Next, you know, they have big, they have big responsibilities to make sure that Next is being a great lead generator for Vercel, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Remix and Shopify are kind of like Remix was purchased by Shopify and and they've got their little, they're way less of an agenda, I think. But there's just a lot of money behind some of these projects and we don't have a lot of money. So we're like, <laughs> or developers, right? I don't know how many developers are working on Next right now or Remix, but I know that it's way more than we have, so. Right, right. Yeah, because as we see on Twitter all the time, uh, people keep announcing having been hired at these places. Right. Which good for them in a tough job market. So, you know, there's that, but. yeah. Conversely, like Vercel is seeking out individuals and trying to soak up the right talent to either, oh, we, perhaps as a competitor or we want some of their your best ideas, but we want it to go into our secret sauce. And right. Not necessarily like out to the group of open source. So I don't know. So you're saying you're not trying to get some Netlify money or? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> the thing is like uh, Tansac right now is pretty, it's pretty self-sustaining at least as far as I know, like we, we get a, we get a good portion of money coming in on, on sponsorships and ads and, you know, marketing deals and and courses and stuff like that. And all of my core maintainers and contributors for each of my projects, you know, I, I try and make sure that they're getting what they need or want, or maybe more than that to make sure that it's worth it for them. Like TK Dodo or Dominic Dorfmeister, he is an amazing maintainer. I don't like, uh, I got super lucky with him, but he maintains 10 query and he's just, he's so great. Right. I don't think it takes a whole lot to maintain great open source libraries. It just takes a couple of skilled individuals and I would rather pay a couple of people larger sums of money and make it worth their time rather than try and, you know, distribute out, uh, a lot of this to hundreds of people and, and possibly let things stagnate or just not have high quality, right? I think one of the one of the themes around Tansac though is that a lot of these tools are being used in applications that that matter. Like Dom uses Tansac query every day at work. And I know a lot of like 
like Kevin Vandy uses Tansec table to build his stuff. And it seems like everybody who ends up contributing is somebody who relies on it for something that they do at their job or on a project like every day. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of motivation there to make sure that all this stuff is working. There is for me too, because if you open, go to tanstack.com, you're basically looking at the front end stack for Nozzle, right? And just recently I became the, like a solo front end team at my own company. Mm, so I see we have 15 employees and none of them are mine. <laughs> I've had front end people before, you know, but right now it just so happened that I'm solo again. So I've got to get a lot done with just myself and leaning on, on these libraries definitely helps. Maybe that's the pitch for Tanstack, right? <laughs> Do the work of 10 developers by yourself <laughs> by relying on great libraries. That's not a bad one. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. And by outsourcing a lot of the front end stack, you have a lot of people who are now making my product better if they find bugs or, yeah, you know. And they're dedicated to its quality. And it'd be easy to hire too. Yeah. But when it is time to hire for Nozzle, I, can, I, I know where to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, Let's move into a little bit of about you personally. So I, I don't know much about you other than your technical side. I think GitHub said you were a swimmer. Is that the case? No. <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'd probably need to take that off. Actually, I'm going to check that out right now because I wonder how. <laughs> That's totally funny. So I actually have a library called Swimmer. I'm going to put Swimmer.js on there. No, <laughs> uh, there we go. Oh, did it say? Maybe I read it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting Swimmer JS on there just because I, I need to. I have no idea why it's on there. I, I totally need to redo my personal profile, but I had a library called Swimmer that was for it was for doing async pooling and async task pooling. And I was like, oh, pool, pool. And we'll call it Swimmer. No, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm, Clever. Yeah. So. so, do you have any non tech hobbies then? I'm not a swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I. I used to have a lot more. <laughs> I used to be really into music, like making music. So I I grew up playing all sorts of instruments. I have one of everything, unless it's like a band instrument, you know. I have an album on Spotify that I did with a friend. I went to school to be an audio engineer for two or three years. Mm, very cool. I did a year and a half of film school. I have like three partial degrees, basically. Probably like a lot of software engineers too, but yeah, Chuck can speak to that. Yeah, <laughs> I went to film school for a year also for fun, and I took a bunch of uh, photography classes for quite some time. Got into photography nice. school, but then that didn't pan out. Yeah, hopefully this gig does though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I kind of found my love for programming through the software world. Like I was really into the tools, so I loved Photoshop and and Premiere, and Final Cut, and Illustrator. And, and then I got into audio engineering tools. Like I just loved Reason, and Logic, and Ableton, and, and eventually found out that I, I really just loved the programming part of it. Maybe not so much the other parts, but yeah, I struggled creatively with music, but I don't struggle with that at all with programming. So <laughs> yeah, so I, I used to do a lot of that, and open source, for better or worse, has replaced a lot of that. So I, I do still really enjoy just coding for fun, doing open source. But when I'm not coding or programming or doing any of that, most of my time is spent with my family. 
We do like to travel a lot. I have two small children, a two and a four-year-old, and we like to travel. So just to different places when we can, you know, we haven't been anywhere like super crazy, Mm. but, you know, we've been to Europe a few times, just been around here, Canada, Mexico, Hawaii. (laughs) I am a vacationer. Mm. So any excuse I can find to just kind of disappear for a week or two, that's my hobby. And if I can't do it right this second, then then my hobby is figuring out a way to do it as soon as possible. That's great. Yeah. I'd say that's definitely something. And uh, I would say with a two and a four-year-old, some would consider some of those destinations uh, adventurous and perhaps a little crazy. So I can certainly... <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like We just went to Puerto Rico with our two and four-year-old just two weeks ago. Yeah. Beautiful place. Love it there. How's their Spanish? My Spanish is not great. (laughs) I used to know Portuguese very fluently, like 10, like nine out of 10. Mm. And then over the years, I've kind of, you know, I can listen to Spanish and get, you know, percentages of it here and there. My speaking it, I'm terrible, but I just love being around it though. Like I love, I love being around different cultures, especially different languages. Like culture shock to me is a hobby. I kind of chase after that. It's a lot of fun. Speaking is a little bit of a hobby when I want it to be. Like 2022 was a big speaking year. I did a couple talks at some big conferences. It's fun. It's a lot of pressure. I did a talk last year at like Jamstack Conf. I like the pressure momentarily. You know, it's fun to get out of your comfort zone and stress out a little bit about something and then deliver and do a really good job with something. This year, I have just kind of mellowed out a little, and I'm like, eh, I don't want to do too many talks. So, like, I'll be on a, I'm going to be on a panel at Reactathon, which is a lot less stress. I think I'm giving a talk at React Summit <laughs> in New York in November. My name's on the website. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, someone asked you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they did, and and it was a long time ago, and I'm probably like, oh yeah, sure, let's do it. So, yeah, I, I hope I can come up with something decent to talk about. Okay. So the, those are the two you're doing this year? I think so. Yeah. I'm going to try and just attend a couple of conferences around here in Utah. Like I, I particularly really like React Rally. That's probably one of the best conferences, not even because it's about React, but it's just a, it's just a great crew, really good conference. And Remix is here locally too in Utah. I could probably find an excuse to go to that one as well. Yeah. Also, just kind of a a lot of people I know are probably going to be there. So it'd be fun to just kind of sit and chat. I'm a hallway track person, so I rarely listen to the talks when I go to a conference. I mean, I do later, right? Uh, then I, I go back home and then I just binge them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on like 2x speed, right? But when I'm at the conference, I, I want nothing to do with the talks. I'm out. just want to talk to people and, and hang out. So That makes a lot of sense. And Kent lives in Utah too, right? So, Yeah, he's probably about an hour south of me. Yeah, okay. And Ryan Florence is also here. And Tyler McGinnis is also here. He's in southern Utah though. Oh, okay. Is Provo south? Provo is south of me, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, in fact, most of us live north of Provo in some aspect other than Tyler McGinnis lives in southern Utah where it's a lot warmer. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're not too far away. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Phoenix, so not too bad. Ooh, last time I went to Phoenix, it was sweltering. 
Mm-hmm. Hopefully it wasn't July. That's not a good time to come. It was probably in the summer. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scorpions at night. Oh, geez. You were out the there. The ground never cools down. Like I remember walking out at like one in the morning and it's just like, why is the ground so hot? Because it was 120 <laughs> today and it's 95 at night and there's no humidity to like give it a, <laughs> you know, to bring in some cool or whatever. So yeah, it just kind of stays that way. Oh. But in December, it's an amazing place. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great golfing in here. <laughs> yeah. If you're into that, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> I tried that once. It's not for me, <laughs> no. but, uh, yeah. but it's pretty. <laughs> yeah. The golf courses are nice. The, uh, the actual golfing is hard, but the 48 balls that I lost was, was nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'm certain it had to be like that many. It's a mental game, right? Yeah. And usually one that is like you're fighting against the urge to just smash things. Right. So, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> a losing urge for some of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, we're about at time here. Uh, is there anything we missed? Anything you want to plug before we end? Plug like shameless plugs. No, I've kind of sure, whatever. Yeah. Anything kind of plugged everything that I, that I should. I don't know if anybody listening is into SEO. You should come check out Nozzle. Mm-hmm. Nozzle.io is the website. We're doing some pretty cool stuff with it, with SEO data. And then, uh, yeah, you heard plenty about Tanstack, so there's nothing left there. Yeah. I don't really think I have anything else to plug other than just, you know, come follow me on Twitter and maybe we'll chat and and uh, have some fun. Find you in the hallway of your favorite conference. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't be shy. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.